Hello and welcome to the Shinecast, where we're starting conversations around how we cope and how we thrive throughout our lives. I'm Marco. And I'm Jordy. The Shinecast may touch on potentially triggering material. Take care of yourself while listening and know that it's okay to take a break or skip on to the next episode. Check out the episode description for full details on what we'll be talking about. We hope you enjoy the podcast. And today we have Dr. Chelsea Larson joining us. Uh, Chelsea is a socio-legal historian and writing specialist for the University of Guelph's library writing team, and she just completed her PhD in medieval and Scottish history. Hi, Chelsea. Nice to have you on the podcast. Yeah, it's good to be here. So uh, I guess to just jump right into things, um, I wanted to ask you about what it was like you getting your PhD. So many things to say about it. It was, the PhD was it one of the best things I've ever done, but it was also the hardest seven years of my life. Uh, I For the first three years of it, I was at, in the tail end of a, an emotionally abusive relationship, which really impacted like everything from budgeting to fitness to just the amount of energy I had there was some sleep deprivation involved so it was it was just not conducive to like high level quality focused work but after I took care of that and got out of that situation everything just fell into place by the end of it I felt by the end of it, I felt prepared to do a PhD, if that makes sense. I feel like I had no idea what I was doing for about six years. And then I finally found my flow between working with writing services, being in therapy, really taking time for myself to reflect on the fact that I don't think I'm going to go the tenure track position um, and, and do work as a professor. That took a lot of pressure off and I was able to just focus on my work dig into my teaching at writing services um, and really explore what opportunities having a PhD gives to me. I like student mm-hmm. support. I love student support. I love helping people, teaching people, consulting with people, giving people feedback on their assignments, helping students to sort of navigate the muddy waters of just university in general. That's where I thrive. So. That the PhD, the you know the hundred thousand word dissertation that I produced is great. I'm proud of it, but I think uh, I learned a lot more than just history in my PhD. I really learned how to be a whole person. So, what got you into like the library writing service team and and your PhD? It all kind of happened at different times. So, the, the PhD was me not knowing what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I did a Bachelor of Arts Honors in History at Dalhousie University and then I took a year off and I worked in a call center and I was like, nope, I need something just a little more challenging than answering phone calls. Although I do love customer service, so that'll loop back around later. And I did a, I did a Master's in, uh, a Master of Arts in History uh, at Dalhousie also and then in, in the arts and the humanities anyway, you can't really do your PhD at the same place because they want to see you like spread your wings and grow. So uh, the Center for Scottish Studies was kind of a logical choice. I was accepted into the PhD program at the University of Glasgow and the University of Edinburgh. Uh, but it's very expensive to do school overseas when your currency is worth half of the target currency. Uh, I got a really big uh, doctoral scholarship from the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada, which is known as SHRC. Uh, And you can only use that at a Canadian institution. So I was like, well, I guess I'm going to Guelph. So about three weeks after I defended my master's, I was here uh, and starting a PhD. 
And I was very, very focused on the tenure track, the professor, you know, publishing, doing all that sort of stuff. That was going to be my career. And then when I first started the PhD, I was looking at it as I'm going to publish, I'm going to research, I'm going to teach, I'm going to be a professor when I grow, grow up with scare quotes. After a few years of being in the PhD program and looking at the job market, I thought, oh, I don't know about that. And honestly, I needed money. My funding ran out in 2017, 2018. So I started looking for teaching assistantships outside the history department. And I found writing services. And I love to write. I love to help people write. It seemed like it would be a natural fit. And I started as a teaching assistant there in fall 2017, worked as a teaching assistant up until March of this year, there was a job posting for a temporary full-time writing specialist. So I applied and I got it. Um, and now I spend all day designing programming and supervising our writing peer helpers and having consultations with students to help them uh, deal with their writing struggles. And it's great. Awesome. Like working with a lot of students, um, do you think that there's sort of like a common misconception among students, either about like writing or school in general hmm. or even just like a, an ideology that they all share i yeah i think that oh gosh i'm gonna go into my anti-capitalist rant in a second but like there's there's been a real commodification of degrees and there's also there's so much pressure on students to have a degree, a graduate degree, to have the best marks, to get into the best schools, to have the best chance at having a job, right? Like you can't just do a, you can't just leave high school and have a job anymore. They want you to have 16 different special qualifications. So for me, I, I see a lot of students coming into university, not thinking of it as a place to learn and grow, but thinking of it as a place to tick boxes and to be perfect and to fit into a certain mold. Uh, and I see that a lot at writing services, right? I get students who come in saying, well, I need to get 100 on this essay, and you're not going to because writing is never perfect. And I also see students who are just absolutely overwhelmed with this sense of anxiety around being perfect, getting the best grade, doing the, the best they can do. And it's nice, I think, when they come to writing services to take a step back and just validate them. Like, Maybe, sure, maybe we can work on your structure, maybe we can work on your argument, but you're smart. Your ideas are there, you know what you're talking about. We just have to teach you this language of standard academic English and, and we'll make it work. I think um, myself included and a lot of my peers like sort of hold what you were saying deeply, the, the, the need to fill boxes. I think there's something to that because like, I think people, they fight to get into university. And then once they're there, they're, they still like feel like they have to prove themselves in a way. The competition that it breeds is almost toxic in a way. Oh, not almost toxic. I'm telling you right now, academia can be a toxic hellhole for a lot of people. Yeah, just so, to, to share like my perspective from um, as a, an undergraduate student in biomed, I see the competition crazier than ever. Um, I'll see students sort of, you know, preying on the downfall of others, um, not sharing notes. And it's it's not in like a, a healthy environment. There's no sense of camaraderie, at least from what I've experienced. Um, students want the, the best for themselves and they want to see those around them fail. I mean, and why wouldn't they? That's how it, our society works. You've got 
less than 1% of people who have all this wealth and you're being told like, well, if you just step on other people and look out for yourself and work hard, you can have what we have. And it's like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yeah. None of us are going to be Bezos. It's just not going to happen. Um, it, it's not possible. And, and I think that that is an unfortunate consequence of, of just the university existing in this society. Like, universities have become less places of higher learning and more places to prepare people for the job market, which is kind of weird because like, let's be real. A lot of the things we learn in university, they prepare us in terms of critical thinking and all that sort of stuff. They prepare us to be better humans who are capable of learning and, and, and doing jobs, but they, it's, it's just so performance based right now. And it's, it's hard. Like, because you're being sort of fed this narrative of it's a doggy dog world out there and you've got to like look out for yourself and there's it's there it's the scarcity mindset that's what i'm trying to get at there's a scarcity mindset that there's only so much success um and opportunity out there for people and so if someone else gets it that means you can't have it and i'd like to be able to say that that's not true but there are forces in society that are making it increasingly true unless we mm -hmm. we vote and protest and, and change the way things work um so it's no surprise to me that that's trickling down into university and i also think like sometimes when we think about problems we think in the wrong direction and so well how can i combat like how can i like maybe i should share my notes i should be the one who's the positive um in the positive direction here and not competing, but trying to cooperate with others. Yeah. Like, what can I do to affect that change? And I think that's a real, frankly, it's a real power play. Um, yeah. <laughs> able to make is when things are really, really competitive. The person who can cooperate with everyone is liked by everyone, and they they really compete. <laughs> Well, who do you want on your medical care team? If we're talking about med school, right? Who do you want right. on your medical care team? The one who's like, ugh, till I spent my entire time in uh, my undergrad in medical school stepping on other people to get to where I wanted to be and being selfish and never helping anybody. I don't want them to be my doctor. I want my doctor to be the person who's friends with everybody, who knows a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy who might know something about my condition. Like, yeah, no, I don't want the selfish old Scrooge, who's like, now I'm keeping all my knowledge for myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's something I take into account, whether I'm teaching, whether I'm doing consultations and as a peer supervisor, right? Like my, everything I keep telling the peers, your people first and then students and then peers, right? Like I just think sometimes people whether it's the institution, the professors, the support staff, the students themselves, they come into university and it's a, it's a pressure cooker where you just lose sight of yourself. Given all that and given kind of the, the chaotic busyness of, you know, the Canadian university life, mm -hmm. how would like, is there anything that you do to balance all of that? Because you're, you're quite a busy person and have a lot of responsibility. So how do you find you balance those? It started with really thinking about my, I suppose, what do I want to model to my students, right? So do I want to perpetuate this toxic attitude of get up at six and work for 18 hours and grind, 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 and academia is your life? Or 
do I want to take a step back? Like, so there were a couple of key things that got me taking better care of myself. Um, and one, one was getting out of the abusive relationship. So I actually had some time to breathe and had some control over my environment. Uh, the second was I, I don't, I don't drink. So I have found all this time and energy for other pursuits that do not include partying. Uh, I was, I went and got diagnosed for generalized anxiety disorder. And so medication has been so helpful to just stop me spinning out into panic attacks all the time, uh, which again, more energy, more time, more focus, just generally feeling like a happier person. Um, I, I hate exercise. People are always like, oh, just go move, just have exercise. It's great. I hate it. So I joined pole dancing classes. Because I was like, what if I trick myself into exercising by having fun? And now I have a home pole studio in my basement, and it's 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 amazing. I get to, I get to dance, I get to do gymnastics in the air. It's it's a it's a wonderful workout. But I think for me, part part of what has contributed to me being able to sort of take a step back from the busy, hectic academic life is working with people who respect my boundaries and speaking up and making my boundaries known. So my colleagues and my supervisor at writing services are amazing i think i i work from 8 30 in the morning to 4 30 in the afternoon one time i sent an email at 4 37 and i got a response back that was like chelsea you were off seven minutes ago stop and i was just like oh, what i work for people who tell me to not work because the expectation is have your phone on you be doing your emails be checking up on this always be available no i don't have my email on my phone i don't have teams on my phone i don't there's no way to get to me through a work channel on my phone. I use apps that help me with my digital decluttering. So I, I don't look at my phone after a certain point at night. I make sure I'm getting the eight to nine hours of sleep I need every night. I see a therapist once a month to just like, I'm not even having any major life crises at the moment. I just see a therapist every month just to like chat yeah. about things like that kind is, of like going to the dentist like a, yeah it's like a maintenance thing it's a mental health tune-up and sometimes she yeah. sees through me and she's like mm, you say you're fine but like the when you talk <laughs> about this your body language changes and i'm like okay christy fine you got me i guess i am upset about something <laughs> but those tune-ups are really important and again i'm privileged i have a really good benefits package i can afford to go see a social worker or a therapist every month i also have no problem obviously i'm on a podcast talking about mental health so i don't have a problem asking for help or telling people that i'm upset i tell my peers i tell my students i tell people in workshops i have adhd i have generalized anxiety disorder i'm sober like i I don't care. I, I I like to talk about those things because it makes people feel less alone. Also, you can tell I have ADHD because I usually start answering the question and then I'm like way over here by the by the end of it. But honestly, boundaries was the biggest thing because no amount of self-care actually compensates for the amount of burnout that we experience as students, academics, uh, laborers in a capitalist society that really only sees us as valuable for the amount of work we can produce. There are just too many demands on us at all times. And even when we are relaxing and taking time for ourselves, that sometimes is, comes with feelings of guilt and selfishness. So I've had to flip it. I have issues with feeling selfish. So I have flipped it. And now all of my, all of my pleasure activities, all of my relaxation activities are framed as an anti-capitalist feminist movement. 
every time I, I turn off my phone at 4.30, that is that is an act not only of self-care, but that is like a political act. Uh, every bath I take, again, I am sticking it to the man by taking care of myself. But but it comes with boundaries, right? You have to protect yourself from all the different demands. So mm-hmm. I tell students all the time, like, if you can, stop working at a certain point every day. It feels weird because you, you hear about university and you're like, all-nighters, like, staying up, doing things at the last minute. This is just the grind. This is just how it is. But we sort of glorify overwork and busyness. And we function better if we take care of ourselves. So yeah. I... Yeah, my bedtime routine includes yoga, and I have a dog who I love. He requires exercise. He forces me to get out of bed in the morning to feed him. I have to take him to the park to run around because he's 100 pounds, and that's a lot of energy in my house. Taking care of yourself in like all those ways, whether it's through recognizing and coping with you know your, your mental health disorders or through you know having a boundary, like a good work and life boundary um and then having all those like self-care activities that like kind of nourish you and keep you going like i think that's yes. a good um cocktail of yeah your prescription, cocktail. prescription cocktail yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. i um, love that you mentioned nourish because my therapist actually made me make a list she was like you need to make a list of things that nourish you and you need to make a list of things that deplete you because some of the things that we think are self-care are actually not good for us or they're just ways to zone out, but not actually nourish. So like, yes, do I watch a lot of Real Housewives? Sure do. Is that on my nourish list? Not really. I have other things on my nourish list, but also I get brain candy once in a while. It's fine. Everyone deserves a treat. Um, but that's it. Sometimes it's like, well, do I feel, does does the idea of doing this bit of self-care, am I doing that because I feel like I have to? Or am I doing it because I want to? Am I doing it because it actually makes me feel better? Or am I doing it so I can post about my bath on Instagram? Like, what what am I actually getting out of this and is it actually helping me? So, mm-hmm. Do you think that anything changed for you specifically when you got uh, diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder? Was there any stigmas about it or things that people misunderstood? Most, most people, when I said, okay, I have a diagnosis, they were like, no, really? You anxious? I was like, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> who would have guessed? Do you remember, of course, the only person who had a problem with it was the abusive ex. Everyone else was so supportive and they they noticed a change. They noticed that I seemed less tired. I seemed more like focused and in control of myself. Um, and I noticed a huge difference too, just in terms of being able to wake up, make a list and do things and not get distracted by like, oh, my dog has a weird bump on his shoulder. Ah, And then the whole day just spirals into like, he's dying. We need to go to the vet right now. So that that was really helpful. And it was validating. The ADHD diagnosis was huge as well because, I mean, I've worked in a learning support and writing support environment for years. And so we teach people strategies, time management, journaling, how to make lists, how to have goals, all these things like do a bullet journal, do this stuff. And I couldn't stick with anything. No matter what system I came up with, I would kind of stop using it after a few weeks. And I thought that meant that I was bad and lazy. And so I started internalizing a lot of this shame about you're not a very good grad student. You're not very organized. You're not you're not this. You're not that. Right. And then as I got the ADHD diagnosis and I started reading up more about it. I was like, oh, I'm not lazy. 
my brain just gets really bored really easily. So I have to do what I call like resparkalizing. So I have to just every time I feel myself getting bored of my bullet journal agenda, I just have to like switch the layout or get new stickers or buy a purple pen. Just just something to get me excited about like engaging with my strategies again. All of it has just been extremely validating. All my friends are neurodiverse though. Like all of my friends are are ADHD, autistic, all we're all, we're all members of the queer community. So like it's it, I'm just surrounded by people who get it and who sort of celebrate taking the steps to take care of yourself. I'm really I'm really fascinated by ADHD just cuz like I see a lot of myself in the ADHD symptom list and I'm currently taking assessments to see whether or not I have it because I think it might apply. One of the things that stood out to me about ADHD and kind of the stigma around it is, is exactly what you were talking about, which is you feel, you get this feeling of like, I'm lazy or I'm not as conscientious as others. And definitely in the university context, that's heavily like enforced. Yeah. Um, I know I definitely fight structure. It feels like it kind of boxes me in and I'm not, I don't oh, like the it. ADHD brain. The ADHD brain requires structure. The ADHD brain hates structure, and that was the biggest thing that I learned through therapy. Was I remember saying like, "I'm tired of not being able to have a sustainable work schedule. I don't know why I cannot get up at nine, like get up at seven or eight, be sitting at my desk at nine, working for three hours, having a lunch, researching for so many hours. Like, why can't I treat my PhD like a day job when that's what everyone says I should do?" What I end up doing is I will do a blitz. I'll write for like 12 hours and then crash for a day or two. And I was like, I, I need to know how to quote fix this. And I, so I, I can do the, the, the nine to five situation. And my therapist was like, why do you feel like you need to fix it? Like, well, because it's not what I'm supposed to do. And she's like, well, mm-hmm. what's wrong with working for 12 hours and crashing? Well, if I work for 12 hours one day and I crash the next day, then I can't work the next day. And she's like, but you did 12 hours of work as opposed to like six. So where's the issue? And I was like, oh my God, I'm a PhD (laughs) student with a flexible schedule. I can do this. I can do whatever I want. This is amazing. So Mm -hmm. something I encourage students to do when they come to me is I don't tell them what tools will work for them. I lay tools out in front of them and I say, how like gut reaction, what's your response to this? Like, do you feel like you can do this? Or do you Mm -hmm. feel like this is just like, no. And they were like, oh my Mm -hmm. God, I can just structure my life and my strategies for success around how my brain works instead of trying to train my brain to do it differently. And I was like, believe me, you're not going to completely reshape how your brain functions in a couple of weeks. Like if your brain does not function like a neurotypical brain, stop trying to make it do that. Just look at what's going to fit with your life to the extent that that's possible and, and work around it's like my dog trainer is always like don't don't work with the dog you wish you had in front of you work with the dog that's in front of you right now and i'm like don't don't try to implement strategies for the brain you wish you had work with the brain you do have find your flow and find a structure that gets you the results that you want and that gives you the time to like think about what you're learning yeah and again like sort of the typical writing structure um, I think it can sort of give people an impression that they're a bad writer. I know it did for me. Um, after first year, when I didn't get, you know, the super high marks that I wanted on writing, uh, and like you already mentioned, you're never going to write a 100% paper. Uh, writing is never perfect. Um, 
it sort of made me feel like I was a bad writer. And in my following years, I, I avoided writing altogether. I would take courses and read the course outline beforehand, making sure there were no papers. That makes me so sad. Oh, that's why I love working at writing services. Because people don't know what they what we do. They assume, like, well, I'm a bad writer and someone's going to, I'm going to have to go and someone's going to have to teach me what a sentence is. And that that makes me feel ch- childish and, and unintelligent. But that's not at all what we do. Um, the first thing I tell most students is that there's no such thing as a bad writer. There's only an inexperienced writer. It's There's nothing shameful in asking for help. You wouldn't try to learn French by yourself and feel like you were an idiot for not knowing French. You wouldn't. And again, because it's such a different genre, like you wouldn't jump into Greek or Arabic, which has an entirely different alphabet, and not ask for help. It's understandable that you would jump in there as someone who grew up speaking English and be like, ha ha, don't know these letters, don't know these words, don't know what's going on, I need help. There's no shame in asking for it when it comes to academic writing, because that is almost a different language. Writing services is there to basically support people the entire way, right? Bring in, you can bring in an assignment with no writing at all. You can just bring in your assignment and go, I have no idea where to start. We will, we will take it from there. We will just start talking, start brainstorming. People want to check an outline. People want to create an outline. People just want to write with an accountability buddy beside them. Book an appointment. Like, we're literally there for anything to do with writing. Uh, even finished assignments that have TA comments on them. Students bring those back all the time and we help them figure out what the TA was talking about so that the next time they do that assignment, they can do better. There was a time when literally my identity was my grades. If I wasn't getting A's, then I was a terrible human being. And that is that is tough stuff. People are vulnerable. Um, but that's another thing I would just love people to know is if you come to writing services, we're not going to be there with a red pen like, and this is bad, and this is bad, and you are bad, and everything is bad, <laughs> just drop it. Like, we're not like yeah. that. It's, we're going to ask about your ideas. We're going to ask, what is your goal? What do you want to say? How do I help you say it? Half of my writing consultations are just coaching people to be more confident about their ideas and their mm-hmm. worth as like humans and that their voice is valid. Given that you've kind of been through the ringer of, you know, university, <laughs> um, what would be like two or three like big pieces of advice you'd give to a university student who's like just getting into all this? Maybe a first year is going down kind of the road you've already been down. All right, let's think big picture and little picture. So let's start small. If you are just coming to university for the first time, come get help before you know you need it. Just try the supports that are available to you. Maybe you don't have an issue with studying or note-taking that you know of. Go talk to someone at Learning Services anyway, just about creating a plan to get off to a good start. If you've never written a paper in university before, even if you were getting 90s on all your papers in high school, bring us your first assignment and get an appointment with us like once every couple of weeks and we can help guide you through that first. We can just be there as a safety blanket to help get you through those first assignments and those first semesters. This is terrible advice coming from an ADHDer because like do as I say, not as I do, but kind of, well, know know yourself, know your schedule and plan accordingly. Take time for yourself, protect your time. Once you get going, 
there are so many people and clubs and assignments and courses and extracurriculars and all these things that are going to help you build your CV and get into that grad program or professional program or, or whatever. And it's very tempting to just say yes to everything, but you need to almost schedule time to decompress and reflect. If you don't ever stop, you will grind and grind and grind and you will get out of university you will have a piece of paper and you will have no idea what to do with it so take that time to step back have hobbies have friends tr try to cultivate a day a week that just has nothing to do with school it's scary because you don't want to quote waste time that you could be using to study or get an assignment done but you're going to be more efficient if you sleep and if you rest lock off a day or half a day and just I'm busy guys sorry I can't do that club I can't ha have a meeting at that time I'm busy you don't owe anyone an explanation you are busy knitting watching tv hanging out with your dog going going to watch a movie whatever it is you're doing that is your protected private time big picture would be think about why you're in the program you're in and reevaluate. If you're not taking a ton of summer courses and you have some time, pursue your interests and your hobbies. Volunteer, have part-time jobs, have a social circle that maybe isn't an academic social circle so that you can kind of get outside of the echo chamber of academia is the best and we're better than everyone else and oh my god, school, school, school. Um, and just, just take time, whether it's alone or with a coach or a therapist or a family member, just like think about what do you want to do for the rest of your life? Because we're not here forever. We're here for like 80 to 100 years if we're really lucky. So having a amazing high paying career may not actually be the thing that fulfills you. And it's better to pivot and spend an extra year or two in your undergrad going after skills and experiences that are going to help you as a person after university than it is to just grind and get it done as fast as possible. Well, I think that's <clears throat> that's all excellent advice. I think especially like the big picture, uh, that's just good to do is, is step back and, and reflect like is why. We need to ask why more. We just need to ask why instead of what and how and when and how much. Just why are we doing this? How's it gonna help you as a person for the rest of your life? Thank you for coming on. Uh, you really gave good advice. So thank you for talking with us today. It was great. Thanks so much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. The Shinecast is hosted by Jordi Lescard and Marco Paulino. We're produced by Rebecca Skelhorn, Shannon Brown, Emma Hack Kovacs, Arkhamo Samra, and Melanie Bowman. Editing is done by Don Matheson. Artwork is by Emma Hack Kovacs. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, you can find past episodes of The Shinecast wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. To keep up with the Wellness Education and Promotion Center and our other projects at the University of Guelph, check out our Instagram at wellness underscore UFG. For resources and supports available for University of Guelph students, visit us at our website, wellness.uoguelph.ca slash shine this year. Please don't forget to rate and review this podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Beautiful. Love it.
This podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only and should not be a substitute for professional medical advice. Please consult a local medical professional or healthcare provider if you're seeking medical advice, diagnoses, or treatment. If you're a student at the University of Guelph, dialing 519-824-4120, extension 52131, will put you in contact with our health services team. There is urgent counseling available as well as mental health navigators and coordinators to support you further. If you require immediate assistance, call your local emergency number or Good to Talk Mental Health Crisis Line by dialing 1-866-925-5454.